Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Welcome to Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong, and this is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, Eleni Mandel. Eleni Mandel has managed to carve out a decent career for herself in the last 15 years. She's a native of Los Angeles, and that geographical good fortune afforded her the opportunity to immerse herself in the rich musical scene of Southern California during her formative years. Now that she's been at it a while, fans might not make the connection between her elegantly simple songs adorned with acoustic guitars and the underground punk and rock shows she grew up frequenting. Along the way, she has worked with music savant producer John Bryan, guitarists Nels Klein and Tony Gilkison, drummer-producer Joey Warnker, and the backup band in her new record, Let's Fly a Kite, was borrowed from none other than Nick Lowe. Over the years, Mandel has been compared to such diverse artists as PJ Harvey, X, Patsy Cline, and Tom Waits, and her life and career have continued to evolve. In addition to guitars and merch, Mandel now takes along a set of twins when she hits the road, and the shift in perspective is evident on Let's Fly a Kite. Motherhood has brought a newfound focus to Mandel's music because there simply isn't time to sit around and wait for inspiration to strike when little people need to be clothed, fed, and entertained. The evolution is a logical one, and it suits her music just fine. The 12 songs on Let's Fly a Kite are playful and focused, and her evolution as an artist has been welcomed by critics, fans, and the artist herself. Welcome to Independence Day, Eleni Mandel. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you. It's good to have you. It's good to meet you. I, I admit that I don't know a ton about you, so this is going to be a very fun learning experience for me. It's like <laughs> I've seen, I actually even had to look up, I tried to find some videos to see how you pronounced your name, because I'd only ever seen your name in print, but uh, but you know, we've, we've got that solved and now we're rolling. Yeah. So thank you again for coming all the way over the hill. You're in, where are you located? Los Feliz? Mm-hmm. Okay. Not yeah, too, it took about seven minutes. Not too terribly far away. <laughs> no. Um, you are an artist based on what I know about you. You kind of embody the independent spirit, like more than most people I, I, I know in the music business. Cause you've been at this a pretty good while mm-hmm. and you did a lot of records like on your own, you know, before you had like well, a lot I of did, support. I did one record completely on my own with the support of my parents. And then I, uh, but you know, for all intents and purposes, put it out myself. Uh-huh. I still own the master and everything. And, uh, but then I recorded, uh, and my second record, put it on my credit card, but then had met a fan of mine in Toronto, Canada, who decided to start a record label to help me. I was the only person on that label ever. So it's not exactly like a big machine, but he was generous and definitely supported my career for a long, long time. Yeah, well, but that's that's just a different version of independent, I guess is what I'm trying to say. If someone's starting a label to have yeah. you on it. Uh, you know, and that's what a lot of people do now. Like, I think everybody feels, even now at this stage of the game where labels are almost irrelevant, people are still forming little labels, even though the, maybe the, the, um, the purpose of doing that has changed, but it still gives you some kind of legitimacy to say that you yeah. take a holdover from the old, the old yeah. paradigm. You know, so so how many records did you do on that label? Was what was the name of that? It's Zed Tone. That's Zed Tone. Okay. Uh gosh. Well, my current record is my ninth record. So I did And that's Let's Fly a Kite. Mm-hmm. Brand spanking new. Brand spanking new. So I guess I did six six records with Ian Pearson at yeah. Zed Tone. And so you were the only artist mm-hmm. on the label the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
he had other people knocking on his door, but I guess yeah. I was enough. Yeah. Well, it wasn't, I mean, at least maybe you could get it, his, him on the phone that way. Cause that's the one thing I know that a lot of yeah. artists who are on bigger labels, that's the big thing. They have, they like, they have a point person, but then they can never find them. Yeah. Or if then they get, they get bounced around with different people. I mean, you know, how, tell me how the working relationship works with that. Like if you're the only artist on a label, uh, they're supporting you exclusively and I mean, you know, you do a record and you do a tour and then you take some time off and then you go, okay, I'm ready to do a record again. Give me some money. Like how does how does it work? Kind of. I mean, you know, he loved my music and he loved all the varieties of genres that I dabbled in. And I don't really remember it so long ago, but I guess, you know, I'd accumulate songs and, and I, or he'd hear some live and, you know, actually he wanted he sort of let me know at some point that he thought he was done. But then he heard a new song and he said, well, I really want you to just record that, at least that song. And I thought, well, if I go in to do that song, I might as well do five songs. And that turned into 13 songs. And that was not my current release, but the one before that. But then he sort of set me free, kicked me out of the nest gently. Yeah. <laughs> and um, now I'm with Yep Rock, and a, and a legitimate, very um, well-respected independent label. How many ballpark artists are on that label? Like how, how big of an on indie Yep are Rock? they? Yeah. I've never counted. Well, I guess ballpark. Like I mean, is I this a label where there's like 20 or 100 or... God, I have no idea. Because that's the thing. Like independent means so many different things now because it's encompassed. It's kind of what alternative music was in the early 1990s. It was this catch-all bin that record labels kind of created to put anything that wasn't metal or classic rock or pop or country. You know, because at one point you would have Elvis Costello and Cowboy Junkies and John Prine and John Hyatt, like all kind of in this, all in Toad the Wet Sprocket somehow, all in this, in Bush and Live and all these bands, all kind of in one category that didn't fit. I call it rock. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> I mean, what I you, call it, too. I mean, if you walk into the record store, everybody's there. Right. Uh, I don't know how many artists Yep Rock has, but they have some great ones like Dave Alvin and John Doe and Nick Lowe and, you know, a million yeah. others. There's a lot of labels at that size now that are doing it differently than the majors have done. There's New West and uh, what's the other one that I always think of? It's, it's like New West. Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's Rounder. You know, mm-hmm. labels that are a little more courageous, but they do things on a slightly smaller scale. Yeah. I mean, what, you know, I don't need actual numbers here, but what about the economy of scale when you've got a label supporting just you? You know, is this, because things have changed a lot. You know, were you, when you first started working with them, were you doing recordings? Were you doing analog tape or were you doing, because there wasn't yeah. really Pro Tools back then. Yeah, I've got a garage full of analog tape. Yeah. <laughs> that's, see, that's something the kids, the kids, the kids don't really realize that was a thing. You know, yeah, it's, it's expensive. It's, it's all now. And it was very expensive. I mean, a roll of tape, you know, at 30 inches per second, if I remember remembering correctly, was that seven and a half minutes or was it 15, a whole roll? I of think tape. a whole roll was 15. So, but it 12 depend, or 15. But it depended minutes. on the, because you could do 30 inches per yeah. second or 15 inches you know per what? second. I am probably the least geary yeah. uh, musician ever. I have no pedals. Yeah. And I, I'm so not an expert in this. Yeah. But I do know that I had to buy a stack of tape for my first record, and it was very, very expensive. Yeah. I mean, now, you know, people complain about going to Fry's to buy a new expensive hard drive. 
But I mean, think of what you can do yeah. with all that stuff. I mean, everything this show has been facilitated by the fact that I can record video on a camera and a tiny little point and shoot. Yeah. And I make movies out of them. People shoot videos, music videos on their iPhones. Hmm. You know, we'll talk a little bit more hmm. about your videos towards the end. Towards the end. Look at those kids. It's crazy kids. <laughs> My guest tonight in Independence Day, Eleni Mandel. She has a brand new record called Let's Fly a Kite out on Yep Rock Records. Uh, let's hear a track from that right now. The track we've chosen to play is called Babe. Excuse me. The track we have chosen to play is Put My Baby to Bed, Eleni Mandel, here on Independence Day. Put my baby to bed. I'm on my way. I wanna be there when my baby greets the day. The road is long. I'm coming home I wanna see my baby waking with the dawn Put my baby to bed Don't hesitate Turn back the covers Shut the lights Pull down the shade I'm halfway there So tell him this I cannot wait to sweep Embrace my baby's kiss Whoa, whoa, whoa Don't make me wait so long Regretting every night Away from home Passing lights that wistful feeling The open road and all its charms Can't hold a candle to my baby's arms Put my baby Call it fate Me and my baby Meant to be together Each and every day Yes, I was wrong To go away I'm coming home And that is where I'm gonna stay Yeah Armstrong. Her name is Eleni Mandel. She's a Los Angeles-based singer-songwriter, and you're the most original and unique of Los Angeles-based singer-songwriters because you're from Los Angeles. <laughs> you know, everyone else I seems to so. be a transplant. Tell me about your formative years. Were you? Did you come from a musical family? Was there music going on in your house? Uh, well, my mom plays the piano, 
my dad was a music lover and went to the record store at least once or twice a week, bought all different kinds of records. So I think both of them, in those different ways, influenced my love of music. I started playing violin and piano when I was five. I hated it, uh, but I did it for eight years. What did you hate about it? Practicing. The discipline? Recitals. <laughs> yeah. I... I definitely remember thinking probably at six or seven years old that I wanted to sing. I loved singing. I wanted to sing and I wanted to write songs and I didn't feel that the violin was the right instrument. So I, you know, I wanted to play and watch TV. I didn't want to practice classical music. And uh, I would hear some uh, jazz violin or fiddle and I loved that, but I, I didn't really have an opportunity to get into that. Uh, as far as my own playing went. So at 13 years old, I quit. And I, of course, looking back, I'm very grateful that I had those years playing music. I can read music, and I'm sure it had a positive influence. It made learning guitar easier than I think it would have been. How long of a break was it before you, you quit at 13 and you picked up the guitar? How much later? Uh, when I was 15. Okay, so that wasn't very long. I mean, that seems no. like an eternity when you're a kid. <laughs> yeah. You know, every summer is eternal when you're yeah. a child. But, uh, you know, because I did the same thing. It was, it, was a, it was a discipline thing for me, too. I, I wanted a guitar. Like, I saw the monkeys, and I saw all the things going on that was, the, you know, music and people playing guitars, and I wanted to be a part of that. So I got my guitar. My parents got me, and I'm forever grateful, little three-quarter-sized crappy thing. And it was under the Christmas tree, just <laughs> like uh, so many kids. And took lessons at the local music shop. And that's right when the breaks got put on for me, or like that's when reality set in, because it wasn't, you know, what I, I wanted to play, you know, songs that I'd heard. And what he was having me play was Jimmy Cracked Corn and mm. Tom Dooley, which like looking back now, I mean, I can appreciate Pete Seeger playing Tom Dooley. That's kind of cool in a retro kind of way. But back then, like, you know, I didn't give a yeah. hoot about playing Tom Dooley. I made my teacher teach me X songs. Yeah, okay. He wrote them out for me. Yeah, well, your music teachers were much more hip in Los Angeles than I they were so. in Aurora, Illinois. Well, it wasn't his choice, but yeah. it was a great way to learn because I was inspired. And the first song I ever learned was Blowing in the Wind. Yeah. And th I, mean, I, I wish they just would have thrown me a bone. Like the, the, <laughs> the, one song, the one song I can remember now that I actually love that they had me play was Blue Bayou. Oh, that's which, cool. Which uh, Roy Orbison. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's like the Linda Ronstadt version. And I just didn't get it as a kid. I didn't understand why that would be a cool song. You know, I didn't I was a singer already and playing guitar. And I just didn't appreciate that. You know, I mean, I it, he could just have easily have thrown me a bone of a song that I knew because they're not complicated pop songs. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm really pushing this off on him when I should be yeah. taking res responsibility for myself. My teacher didn't walk in and say, hey, how about a couple of X songs? I hear yeah. you like them. Yeah. I would I mean, bring him cassette tapes, yeah. put it in, and he would sit there and write it out for me. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and I may have, I'm sure I, you know, asked him about those kinds of things, but, but the Jimmy Cracked Corn thing, I just, it, <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll never forget that song. No. And then, well, my best friend and I, uh, in second grade, you know, of course we had to change the words as kids do when we were singing Jimmy Cracked Corn. I think you should class. start a band called Cracked Corn. Cracked Corn. An ode to your poor teacher. They locked us, my, they locked my best friend and I in the coat closet. The teacher did because we kept singing Jimmy Crapped Corn. 
Jeez. Like those Catholic, those They'd nuns. They'd be arrested now, yeah. Yeah, there's nuns. Well, the nuns can get away with anything. They've got uh, carte blanche. Anyway, my guest tonight, Eleni Mandel. You can learn about her at elenimandel.com. Also, facebook.com slash elenimandel. And follow her on Twitter at elenimandel. And that's E-L-E-N-I, Mandel, the traditional spelling. So, Well, two L's at the end. I'm sorry, two L's, yes. Uh, you are, you know, you're a young kid in Los Angeles. You've got a somewhat musical family. What was there a specific moment where you said, okay, this is like what I want to do, not just something that I'm, it's a uh, hobby. Well, I knew that I wanted to be in a band like X. Uh, they were a big inspiration for me starting to play the guitar. I didn't think I wanted to do it for a living. In fact, my guitar teacher, who I would love so much to be able to find and thank for his encouragement he asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I said, an actress. And he said, how about a musician? I said, no way. Nah. <laughs> yeah. What was the yeah. difference between acting and musician, being a musician? Well, actually, I feel like I, you know, when you're performing, you, you are kind of acting. Mm-hmm. Get inside the song and put on a show. Uh, so I guess I still use some of those skills. They're related. Yeah. They're performances, just a different type of performance. Yeah. You know, and even, you know, even someone like, uh, you know, Tom Waits puts on a persona, you know, who's to say how much of that is, is legit, you know, when yeah. he goes home. I mean, does he, I mean, I imagine some of it is, he's kind of an, he's most original well, I think person probably I can think of. any performer is showing a part of themselves. Yeah. But it ebbs, I guess what I'm saying is that it ebbs and flows the point at which, or the, the extent to which you are yourself on stage. You know what I mean? Like there's, it, it kind of go, it kind of comes and goes like with the grunge movement, if I may use the G word, that was the big thing was to kind of go on stage in your flannel and your torn jeans and just, yeah. and you know, it was very unaffected to go up and just do your thing and be yourself, whatever that was. Um, and then there are times where it's, you know, like for example, let's use you two as an example, like on the Joshua tree album, their whole thing was like getting to the heart of America and being real and not affected. And then they took a 180 right after that and did Octung Baby, which was about embracing the fact that it is performance and it is artifice. Mm. And this, the, the artifice is as much part of it as anything else is. Yeah. I can't talk about them because I don't know their music well enough. Yeah. Of course, I've, I know the names of those records, so I yeah. believe you. I, <laughs> I just, I am a big believer in dressing up when you get on stage and putting on okay. a show. I think, you know. Audience wants to see something. Yeah. Well, it's a stage and there's a, there's a, I don't know, it's on a wall, as Roger Waters might have said, but there's, there's definitely a difference yeah. between us and them who's yeah. performing and who's well, not. Well, I think it's not just for them that I do it, but, you know, helps you get in the mindset, you put on your dress and your shoes yeah. and, you know, my sparkly guitar strap. Yeah. It's a respect for the fact that you are performing. I mean, you're, yeah. you're an entertainer. You know, even if you're the cure and you're doing depressing music, you're still entertaining in some <laughs> regard, you know, or you're trying to entertain in some regard. Uh, how about a little live music? You brought a guitar and it's a sure. really cool guitar. Tell me about this guitar first and foremost. It's this tiny yeah. little Martin guitar. It's a Martin 518. It's my little baby. Well, it's my first baby. I have two human babies too. They're not. So the guitar is much older <laughs> than the human yeah. babies. The guitar is from 1960. Yeah, and I just... You know, I was looking for a new guitar and went to a shop in the valley, actually. Looked up, saw a little guitar, thought it was cute. And turned out it sounded good, too. Yeah. So now it's mine. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's, it's something different, but it's not, uh, it's not twee. You know, because no. you can get a little guitar and it can be very twee. But this is an old Martin. 
you know, any yeah. any old Martin, it's older than a lot of your fans, I would imagine, <laughs> which is a really, really cool well, thing. Well, my fans uh, are a diverse group. I think they span a couple of decades. Of course. A few, of many, course. hundred. Yeah. I, I think the know. oldest instrument I have, I have a pre-World War II accordion. Wow, which that's is cool. cool. Now, if, now if I, I choose to believe this story, the guy I bought it from in Chicago. At the end of a tour, you know, I come back from tour with a big pile of per diem money that I'd, I'd stashed away. Mm, just eating so I, peanuts out of the vending machine? Well, you know, you play these tours and you get, a lot of times they provide you food, but you still get a per diem. So you, you've eaten, that money yeah, is so for so you food. were on the other side of the music business. I was. So we put that, <laughs> you know, so you'd stash that money and it's at the end of the tour. It's like, okay, this is kind of free money. So I'd buy a couple toys and uh, the accordion was one of them. And the, I, again, I say, I, tr- I choose to believe the story that... The, uh, an old Polish woman came in and said, this was my son's, he was killed, in, or maybe it's my father's or whatever, he was killed in World War II. But this is a dead Polish soldier's accordion, which hmm. I just think, again, I choose to believe that because it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's as it's good a as any. great story. Anyway, enough about my accordion. So, Eleni Mandel, what have you got for us? I'm going to play a song called I Like You. All right, let's hear this. Eleni Mandel on Independence Day. It's true I like 
So very nice, Eleni Mendel here on Independence Day playing a song. That's a brand new song from your brand new record, correct? Mm-hmm. All right. New music is a very, very good thing. My favorite thing about that song is that it uh, it almost doesn't seem like it has a time signature. Oh, it very kind of it probably doesn't. It kind of it's it seems very natural. <laughs> it's floating. It is. It kind of floats. It's not like there's a rigid time structure. There's a lot of, you know, the time signature kind of speeds up and you kind of push and pull and play with it. But it's really, really it's fun. Tell me about your I mean we talked a little bit about the fact that you had music in your house but what was your musical training like I mean other than those first lessons I mean did you in high school were you involved in choir or band I was in choirs uh growing up a little bit not a ton I did sort of temple choir I'm Jewish and I was in gospel choir in college because I love to sing about Jesus who doesn't (sighs) feels good and uh, there's, yeah, there's some other famous Jews that like to sing about Jesus. Bob Dylan's one of them. And let's see. I just always was kind of trying to get guys to be in a band with me. And it never worked. And then I was a huge Tom Waits fan. And, and I saw him perform when I was a freshman in college. And I think maybe it was... You know, he walked out on stage and he played the song Time off of Rain Dogs, played that by himself with an acoustic guitar. And I thought, oh, yeah, I I could do this myself. I don't need guys to give me the opportunity. I could just do it. Yeah. And I started playing open mics. And, well, I mean, really, I I met, I saw Chucky Wise perform in Los Angeles and then met him and he became my mentor and kind of snowballed from there. And now when you say mentor, what, in, in what way? Like, did he say, Wendell, don't play that show or don't wear that shirt? Like, wait, what kind, of, what kind <laughs> no. of mentor relationship? Because he's a very interesting guy to have as a mentor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think he mentored me in, in a lot of ways, not just music, kind of a little life mentoring too. But as far as music goes, let's see. I played an open mic at Highland Grounds Coffee Shop. And he was there, and he said, when I walked off, he said, you're going to be a musician. I was still in college at the time. And, you know, I always feel like when you look back, you see these sort of these signs pointing you in the direction you're meant to go. So that was a pretty clear one. I believed him, you know, and, and we became friends. And I remember singing a song to him over the phone, thinking it was so cool, and he said, Someday I'll be embarrassed that he wrote that song. <laughs> so he sort of mentored me by being a little bit tough on me. He always told me, you have to have a thicker skin. You have to build a following. You know, you have to play shows. You have to be professional. I once, uh, people were talking during my two songs at the open mic, and I stopped and glowered at everybody until they were quiet. And he said, don't ever do that again. I was unprofessional, things like that, things I still think about. You know? It's good that he inured you to rejection because it seems like <laughs> yeah. that's such a huge part of being a musician is, you know, we're going to get knocked down, yeah. you know, but it's those of us who get back up again that are still doing it. I mean, it sounds like a dumb metaphor, but it's true, uh, you know, because I mean, it, and it's small rejections and big rejections. And I think I, I, I can't speak for you or other musicians, but I mean, as music, a lot of us are more sensitive in a lot of ways as musicians. So we're not predisposed to being able to take rejection 
like maybe a, if there's such a thing as a normal person, what a normal person would be. So to, to learn that in a way that, you know, Hey, it's, you know, you're, you're playing music, you know, don't do that or don't play that song or that song sucks, you know, um, to keep at it. That's what makes a difference. I think. Yeah, I definitely. Think. Well, having his approval and encouragement definitely kept me going a long ways and some other folks too. But yeah, I'm grateful that he was hard on me and taught me about having a thick skin because if you don't have that in, in any kind of entertainment business, yeah. it's going to hurt. <laughs> was there a point where years later you were like out on the road and you know Chucky e. Weiss is like in the back of your mind? You know, like yeah. some, something happened where you're like, oh yeah, Chuck was right. Was there a moment like that? Happens, I think, every tour. Really? Okay. Sure. I think well, one of the recent shows, I did a, a tour of the U.S. this winter. How many dates? I ballpark. I want to say twenty-two. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, after the show, a fan came up to me and said, "I was so mad about those people talking while you were playing, and doesn't that bother you?" And I thought, "Oh, yeah, no, I don't. I don't really pay attention anymore. You sort of notice it, but..." And it was because of Chuck saying, "You got to be professional. You got to keep going. You got to put on a show." You know, you got to put on a show for the people who are listening. And you don't even, you know, I try to think about those situations, what it's like to be in a bar with your friends and someone's playing music. You want to be able to talk to them, to your friends. So I have empathy, I guess. But uh, yeah, it was definitely Chuck's voice whenever those things happen. Got to be tough. You got to keep going. Yeah. Everybody deals with that differently. Uh, how you know, the, the people talking, because it's it happens to every single musician and it has happened to every single musician and uh there there was an interesting moment i was at a show the other night and the artist played a very very quiet song because i feel like there's two ways to get around people talking there's either that you're so loud and so intense that people can't help but pay attention to you you know which is maybe the kind of like the mick jagger way of going about it like the look at me like grand gesture kind of way and then there's the like the super quiet kind of way that if you if you play something so quiet that you make people self-conscious that they're talking they will be quiet. And this happened at a show just over the weekend. And it's funny because it happened in one song. Like he started playing, the artist started playing for his last song. He played a very quiet Towns Van Zanti spoken type song where he plays a guitar part and he kind of talks over it and tells a story. And it's a, it's a great song. And at the beginning of it, people were kind of milling about and talking. And then they stopped because he was, it was quiet. There was no band on that song. The whole, he, the whole band had left the stage. And people paid attention. And it was mm -hmm. funny because, but it only happened for like the middle minute of the three minute song it's like he got their attention by being quiet and intimate mm -hmm. and then they really paid attention and then they eventually started kind of chatting again which i thought was funny because it was like this funny little wave of coming over the entire audience because you can feel that in the room like okay because people kind of one by one their conversations dropped out the din kind of got quieter and then he then it was dead quiet while he played the middle part of the song and nothing changed in the song and then at the end Towards the end, people started kind of chatting a little bit more and it went away. And I think it's fantastic to experience those things. You know, what else is like that? You know, in an mm -hmm. odd, being in a room of odd people paying attention to an artistic thing hmm. where people are kind of ebbing and flowing and paying attention because the whole crowd dynamic thing is fantastic. What well, kind of, you know, do you do a lot of stage banter when you perform? I do now, yeah. Yeah? Is it, did you not before? Uh, I toured with a band for a long time and I think, I mean, I did talk a little bit, but... I think it was harder for me. I was more self-conscious about it or I was just more self-conscious in general in that time in my life. But I've been touring for a few years solo 
and I find it's a great opportunity to tell stories and yeah. talk about the songs and I enjoy more and more sort of interacting with the audience in that way. And yeah, it's cool. And it, I, I don't prepare at all. Yeah. I I know some artists that are really great. They do prepare. I won't name names. <laughs> I feel like it's... You mean prepared stage banter, you mean? Yeah. I feel like, uh, for me, I like I like to just wing it. I feel like you can kind of tell, too, if there's a band and they're going from town to town. You can, you can, you can watch the, like, the bass player when the singer says the, the phrase, whatever, you know, that he's been saying or she's been saying mm-hmm. in every town along the tour. You can look at the band and you can tell if that's a line that they've been using in every town because the band's like, ah... <laughs> it goes, yeah, man. It's that shtick again. Uh, you know, but that's the thing, you know, to come back to Tom Waits again. Like, I'm sure some of that is stuff that he says in every town. But for Tom Waits, I mean, he's just brilliant. So what, whatever comes out of his mouth just winds yeah. up working. At least well, it does for I me. think he'd be taking a big risk if he used the same lines in every town because people are flying to all those shows. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've had friends who went to see subsequent shows. I couldn't do it the last time he was out. But he tours so sporadically. It's extremely frustrating. <laughs> uh, as you probably know, as, as a fan of the man. Um, how about another tune? What else sure. have you got for us? What's queued up now? I will do Love Never Acted. Also from the new record? Yeah. Okay. Eleni Mandel, once again, brand new song on Independence Day. You belong to the ages Though no one knows who you are You've given no speeches Nor won any wars You aren't a diplomat Settling scores But I could never forget you I'll write your to mine We'll go down in history for nothing at all But love never acted upon I belong to the city I'll never by the shore I like bourbon on ice every now and again and I hoped you'd partake so this friendship could end but you would never elect to you shake hands hello and goodbye Yes, we'll go down in history for nothing at all. But love never acted upon. I'm not suggesting that it would feel natural holding your hand or a kiss on your mouth. But I can't help wondering With every flirtation What is it you want? 
You are listening to Independence Day. I come to you every Wednesday night, bringing the best artists I can possibly find. And I am happy, happy, happy to add Eleni Mandel to that legion. She's a Los Angeles-based singer-songwriter, but you can find her pretty much all over the country and all over the world playing her songs. She has, how many albums did you say you had to your credit now? Uh, I have nine solo records, an EP. I'm in a band called The Living Sisters. We have... Yeah, kind of like a super group sort of thing. That's what they say. I'll take it. And then I have a band called The Grabs that has two records out that maybe like five people have yeah. heard of. But our motto is The Grabs Love The Grabs. <laughs> we love our band. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Nigel Harrison, who's Blondie's former bass player, he wrote One Way or Another, among other songs. He's in the band, so we have a lot of street cred. Yeah, man. Well, yeah, I have a member of Blondie that is street cred. Um, are you, maybe this is a daft question, but are you full-time music? I am. And how long have you been full-time music? About 14 years. Yeah. Kudos to you, man. Thanks. That's awesome because it's a very blurry line I've found, especially with the new paradigm, whatever that I means. I sort of wish I was a mailman. Yeah. And a musician. Okay. The Leuven brothers John were Pry- mailmen. John Prine was a mailman. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Ira or uh, uh, Charlie worked for that. They both worked yeah. for the post office. I just read the book. Did you read the book? Mm-mm. Satan is Real? I just finished it. No, but that sounds great. I'm a huge fan of theirs. It's great. I highly recommend it. It's in the shorter chapters. And if you love the Leuven Brothers, which I most certainly do. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that Charlie was the one who wrote it instead of Ira. I mean, you know, Ira's been dead for a very, very long time. It's funny. When I was in Nashville last year, I was talking to a bartender about the Leuven Brothers because I used to go to Bell Buckle, Tennessee every year to try to get into the Leuven Brothers Museum. It was always closed and now it's just gone. It's The town is, doesn't look remotely like it did. And Charlie Leuven is dead, of course. But this bartender had been in that museum and said it was pretty dark and there was a photograph of the car crash that Ira Leuven died in with a caption the day my brother ruined my music career. It's, Ouch. <laughs> it's, man, but the, the, I mean, you, you read the book, and I encourage everyone to read this book because the Leuven Brothers, I mean, the cornerstone of modern country music, I mean, practically wrote the book for harmony singing, if not, you know, Although writing. Although they took it from the Delmore Brothers. They did. They did. One of their records was a tribute to the Delmore yeah. Brothers. Good stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the stories... 
especially, I mean, I, had, I was born in Alabama, actually, mm-hmm. and I have relatives to there to this very day. And knowing the archetypes of people that, that's, that kind of go through that book, like the, mm, the, that's the, interesting. the father who works the children to death practically you know they, they got into music not just because they loved music but they wanted to get the hell out yeah. of their of the, away from their father um you know if they'd been women they probably just would have married off at the time which is i think what their sisters ended up doing but the guys you know they had the only way to get out for them out of sand mountain alabama this podunk little town was music for them hmm. uh yeah, i gotta read it and you know, of course you know the the southern archetype of ira the older brother with the, the tenor brother being the uh he was going to be a preacher was his alternate career choice to music because they're kind of related in a way and how, uh, but he was also the one that was the drunk and the womanizer, you know, the classic idea of the mm-hmm. duality, heaven and hell of yeah. the, the preacher being a man of appetites, let's say. Anyway, enough about the Leuven brother. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Good well, stuff. I just went to the country music hall of fame and it was glorious. Yeah. So when you tour, do you, I mean, because you're touring solo. I'm touring right on stage. I'm solo, but I bring my kids and their nanny slash okay. my ex-boyfriend. Okay. So you've got a, uh, a small contingent along with you. Yeah, I have an entourage. An entourage. So are you, you know, because you're, tu- are you, do you have someone who's booking these tours or are you kind yes, of doing Yes, I have a booking okay. agent. So then do you, obviously you have to tell them, okay, we've got children. We've got the entourage. So we need to kind no, of work around this because they don't bit? come to the shows. Okay. I mean, I, I told my agent, the drives better be short. But okay. they weren't, and we yeah. survived. Yeah. Are you, I mean, are you at the level where you can kind of, because, you know, you're seeing things like the, you know, Country Music Hall of Fame. Are you at the point where you can be telling your booking person, like, hey, I need a little time to do my thing? Because dep- Well, I think anybody can depend, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be on a high level. You, yeah. It just depends what you feel like you can afford, how many days off you can yeah. afford, and the routing and all that. I mean, it's kind of boring to talk about, but it's... Yeah. Uh, I did get a day off in Nashville, which was great because I'd never been to the Country Music Hall of Fame. I was wound wanted up to with go. days off in the strangest, like the strangest places, <laughs> it seems like. Because I think it's where the hotels are cheaper. So they give you three days off in Des Moines instead of, uh, <laughs> instead of New York. Oh, gosh, I think I would have felt lucky if I got in a town with some cheap hotels. Because yeah. Nashville is not one of them. No, it's not. Talk to me about touring with kids. You're not the first act to be on my show that tours with their mm-hmm. kids. What's it like for you? Because they're they're pretty young at this yeah, stage. Yeah, they're three year old twins. I love it. Uh, it's their I think that was their fourth time crossing the country. They've been to Europe twice. We're going again, and you know we do so much fun stuff. For me, it's a great, amazing, joyful way to see the country, to see any country because you, you know, you look for playgrounds and museums and and whatever water parks, public pools. So Cheerios. It gets you so out of that sort of grind of hotel, truck stop, hotel, truck stop, dingy club. And I like hotels and truck stops and dingy clubs, but I like this better. Yeah. So with an entourage of that side, are you in a size rather, are you in a van? We're in my delightful minivan. Minivan. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I used to have a beautiful full-size conversion van, like carpeted on the inside. It was so lovely. Had to let it go when the kids came along. Yeah. So with these these little ones, will you? Is music going to be? I mean, they're growing up around it. It can't not be part of their life. It is their life. Yeah. But is this something that you tend you you plan on? 
training them in the ways of the force of music or just going to let them do what they do. And if they come to it, they'll well, do I, it. I really want them to take music lessons. It's beneficial for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, helps with brain development and math and all that stuff. Uh, I think it's also a great thing to have in your life to be able to sit down and play music. I'm, I don't want to choose instruments for them. Uh, you know, they both seem to love the drums so far and they love to come up and mess with the guitar when I'm playing it. But I, I do want them to take regular, you know, old fashioned lessons and, yeah. and then see where that goes. Do you think they will have it? Will it run in the family, this like discipline mm-hmm. and this lack of interest in sitting down and learning to play it? Or... <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Is that the chicken coming know. home to roost? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. <laughs> We'll see if they stamp their feet while they're practicing like I used to. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I can't wait till I can try to sing harmonies with them oh, and yeah. all that good stuff. Uh, and I also hope that they're scientists and lawyers and doctors and have a more stable life. But it'll be fun to just see how, how they turn out. And, yeah. You know, if they don't like music, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. How they love we, to dance at least. Yeah, kids. I love kids. Kids are the best. How has having children like has it changed your music? Or how has it changed your music if it has? Well, there's a few songs on the new record that are definitely influenced by them, about them, inspired by them. And that is really fun for me. Um I just you know, I still feel creative in the same way. It's a little harder at least writing for the this record, it was hard to make time to write. I had to be more disciplined about it and write at night when they were asleep. And I don't like to work that way. I actually like to work during the day. And But now as they're getting older and they're more independent and they're playing with each other, I can sort of go sit in a corner with my guitar at the same time. Yeah. So I think it's a, you know, a work in progress. But, you know, people other musician friends of mine that have kids, they say, how do you do it? How do you tour? How do you still do it? And you just do. If you have to yeah. do it, you do it. Well, that's been the answer that everyone who's doing that, touring with their kids, it's just, well, how, you know, everyone thinks they're insane for doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, some people get very judgmental about it. Oh, you take your children on the road and you're in truck stops and out <laughs> among the English crazy people out on the road. There are, there are highwaymen out on the road doing, you know, <laughs> But uh, their answer is the same as yours, which I think is the answer to pretty much everything in your life, everyone's life, which is if you want to do it, you just do it. Yeah. You know, Nike really sometimes, I feel like they struck on something with that, that yeah. statement, the just do it thing. It sounds overly simplified, but it's, it's really what it comes down to. If you want to do something, you just figure out a way to do it. Yeah. You know, your, your circumstances have changed, but your circumstances are changing all the time, both from your own choice and sometimes yeah. not from your I mean, own it'll, choice. It'll be different as they get older they're getting to be a lot more conscious of their environment and realizing they're not at home in their comfort zone. So I think as they get older, they're not going to yeah. really want to do it, but they'll, at least they'll have that in them. They'll have, yeah. you you know, they'll have their picture in front of the Eiffel tower. Yeah. And that's, but that's the thing that's normal to them. Yeah. That is, you know, cause whatever you have is what's normal. And if that's yeah. what you were raised with, if you were away, if you were raised with the idea that it would be crazy to do this or that, then it's, that's imbued in you that that's crazy to do this or that. But if it's, if you were taught that the world's your oyster and that, yeah, we were on tour when we were toddlers, you yeah. know, I learned, I took my first steps in the Louvre. I don't know, you know, whatever, who knows? <laughs> um, 
you know, it's cool. So kudos yeah. to you. I think that's Thank really, you. it's really courageous. I mean, you don't need me to tell you this because you do it, but it's really courageous to just do it like that. I think it's Thank cool. Thank you. So well, keep- I appreciate that. It doesn't feel like courage. It just feels like my life. You yeah. Know? That's because you've made that choice and maybe yeah. you didn't even, it wasn't a choice that you made. You just did it. <laughs> exactly. Very nice. Eleni Mandel, my guest in Independence Day. She's got her guitar here, a very, very cool 1960 Martin Tiny Little Guitar. How about you pick another song on that for All us? right, let's do Maybe Yes. All right, Maybe Yes, also from the brand new record. Yeah. Eleni Mandel here on Independence Day. <laughs> doesn't burn me up maybe doesn't make me sigh maybe makes me wonder why maybe I'm in love with you maybe I could love him too if you don't know what to say maybe I will walk away Yes, is sweet and yes, my dear Yes, makes maybe disappear Maybe doesn't turn me on Maybe's not filet mignon If your answer's I don't know Maybe I will let you go Yes, it's tender, yes, it's true Yes, yes, baby, I want you Yes, I do Armstrong, I would invite you to drop by the Independence Day website at indepday.com. Also, please visit us on iTunes, indepday.com slash iTunes, where you can download episodes of the show going back over three years and a hundred shows. Tonight's guest, Eleni Mandel, Los Angeles-based singer-songwriter, uh, almost Shantusi in a way, because you're not uh, straight up pop. You've got a lot of j- like jazz influences mm-hmm. and other influences in your music. Um, you know, who were the people that you listened to growing up that made you want to not just be a musician, but made you want to write, you know, because there's a difference because some people just play. Well, X and, and Tom Waits were okay. the big ones. Okay. So the both ones performing that, and writing. Yeah. I mean, the, they, yeah, I started listening to both of them when I was a teenager and that's sort of when it was more conscious in my mind that I wanted to do that 
saw X on stage and thought that looks like fun. I want to do that. Um, but then there's so many influences that aren't as conscious. I always loved singing since I was little and used to dance around the living room singing, do you know where you're going to? <laughs> Diana Ross yeah, saying, yeah. I don't count her as an influence, but it's there. It's back there it somewhere. It all gets in there. Yeah. You know, and we live in such a time where it's like a mashup world where it's okay to just put them all together and put them in a box and shake them up, dump it out and see <laughs> what it is, you know? Um, and I like what you've done. You know, one thing that really strikes me about your music is you manage to do simple songs, but not simple, stupid songs, because I think there's a difference because simple can be stupid and simple can also be very, I don't say complex. That's a dumb way to say it, but simple can be very, there can be a lot more to it. And people like John Prine, he embodies that for me where mm -hmm. you're singing about a simple interpersonal relationship or a small feeling, but you find a way to catch the turn of phrase to make it unique or to find the melody that doesn't, you know, that, you know, there was some uh, major seventh somewhere in the stuff that you were listening to as I was listening along. Um, so, uh, what am I getting at with this here? Uh, I'm great. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. Okay, let's talk just a little bit about like how you go about writing these, you know, the simplish type songs that aren't as simple as they sound. Um, you know, I've listened to a lot of it. It's a lot of these are interpersonal. They're kind of feeling based or you mm -hmm. and me based or you're talking well, to someone. To me when, you know, it's, I guess a simple song would be a matter on a Monday and my heart stood still. <laughs> did right. do run, 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 did do run, run. Right. I still love that song. Actually, that was the first record I ever got, Sean Cassidy's version yeah. when I was in nursery school. But I do like simplicity. I do like paring things down, saying, saying a lot with fewer words. I like that in prose as well. Isaac Besheva Singer is probably my favorite writer, and and he has a way of saying things in in such a clean, basic sort of way, but puts a, you know, the words he chooses, words economically, and and there's so much in the words he chooses. So, gosh, I, I think maybe I edit more now than I did when I was starting out, and, and I enjoy that. I enjoy trying to put across an emotion or tell a story and doing it in a simple way with not you know not yeah. being too flowery and when you do you hear because your records frequently have other instruments you know on top of the things that every you're doing every single one every does. single one yeah. so when you when you're writing these songs everyone approaches this differently do you hear like the arrangement more fleshed out in your head as you're writing it like says so you're as you're no. coming along you're like okay do okay this maybe i hear a horn somewhere or is it just start yeah. with that simple song and then excuse me, when you take it in the studio, then you kind of flesh it out. Yeah. I, I love working with people that I respect and trust and admire. And I like to give the people I work with a lot of freedom so that they feel creative as well. So I don't, I don't walk in with preconceived notions about how it's going to go, especially, you know, with another group of musicians and, and the producers on this record, Neil Brockbank and Bob Traherne are so amazing. And, have such great taste and are so knowledgeable about music and, and Bob played drums also. So I love putting myself in their hands and, and, you know, and of course I have a say in it and I have the final say. Yeah. So you have veto power. <laughs> I do. But I also, I like to 
to go with it and, and see where it goes. I mean, the people that played on this are such amazing musicians. So I, uh, I kind of love to just sit back and watch the songs come to life. And there's a great story about recording this most recent record. Uh, this, this, is Nick, this is the one with Nick Lowe's band, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me how that came about. I was opening for Nick um, September of 2012, and his producer, sound engineer, tour manager, Neil Brockbank, was on that tour. And Neil and I were always kind of backstage together before the shows when Nick had, would go back to prepare whatever he needed, you know, get dressed up or his beautiful hair. I don't know, maybe he was doing something to his hair. <laughs> Product. <laughs> He's really got great hair. And uh, he, Neil and I just became kind of instant friends, and, and I had such a good time on that tour. And by the end of it, we'd agreed that we should try working together. And so I stopped over in London next time I was in Europe and met the guys in the band, and, you know, it just went swimmingly. Yeah, fairly organically, it sounds like. You know, so how, you know, for a record like this, I mean, are you the type of person that spends two weeks in the studio, do a week in the studio, do okay. some stuff and then come back later and add stuff? Like, what's I've your working done that. process? I prefer to, to kind of do it all in one chunk. I've My first record took two years working weekends and days off. I don't like doing it that way. Um, so this one... It's really expensive for me to travel with the kids, especially overseas, and and to be in London, of course. So I said, I'm going to be there for the least amount of time that you need me. And it was three weeks, and they did probably two weeks without me as well, and mixing, and so that was it. Yeah, easy like pie. So now with this, at this level, I mean, is like accommodations being part of that? With the kids, like, is that part of the budget for the record? Or did you kind of just stay (laughs) wherever you could stay? Uh, No, I had to dip into the old bank account. Okay. uh, Got us an apartment, and that was really fun. It's a great way to travel. Do you think the city got into the record? I mean, other than just the players? I mean, obviously, they're Hmm. there. But was there, I mean, because the songs were written by the time you got there, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Did you think that it affected the, I mean, obviously it did because the musicians are there and you're recording there. I think there's a lot of sort of transcontinental influence because the guys in the band love American music, especially from the 20th century. And, and I certainly love the Rolling Stones and Nick Lowe and other uh, British artists. So I think there was... You know, so much kind of rolled into one and definitely all that tea we drank had an impact. (laughs) So in your EPK, you talk about the tea, the press kit. I mean, is this something like, I'm I'm very curious about this working relationship. Is it like you do a song and it's like, okay, let's have some tea. Yeah, it was like that. Well, the thing is, I realize in the EPK that I say, you know, in America, we don't really drink tea. And of course, that's not true. We do drink tea, especially singers will want to have a yeah. cup of tea. But what's different in London was that everybody would have tea. All together, we would sit down and we'd have tea. So, I, you know, the burliest guy in the room was drinking tea. Everybody was yeah. doing it. And it's not like they're drinking Celestial Seasons Oh, no, no, no. PG tips. Yeah, straight up tea. <laughs> Well, you know, people like their cream and sugar. Well, that's, I don't mean I don't mean unadorned with stuff. I just mean it's like orange pico tea. It's like tea. It's not. It's not uh, no red zinger. Sp- no. Is what I'm saying. No, or no fruity flavors. Or, yeah, this is black tea. So I mean, it was ever a point where like the drummer gets bent out of shape in the middle of a track. He's like, "Stop it! I haven't had enough tea." 
we gotta we gotta stop mm, and have some tea. No, but he would say, "I'm gonna go have a fag, okay. eating a cigarette." Right, of course. Yeah, yeah, whole different thing over there. Yeah, I they guess, um, they smoke and they drink and they drink tea. Is now was was pubbing part of this too? Because every time yeah, I'm after. in London, that's my favorite thing is going to the pub. Like it's so much more civilized there than going to like a sports bar, which is what <laughs> Americans are so used yeah, to. Yeah, there's a great pub just on the corner. I'm sure there were thousands of great pubs. Well, we weren't in central London. We were in God Southwest London, I think. And uh, which was a great neighborhood. I loved it. Yeah. Are you happy with the way? I mean, every album's got its own. I think I feel like they take a life of their own on. Mm-hmm. Like you've got the idea of like what you might want to be based on the songs, the batch of songs that you go in with. But then I've always found every single project, whether it's one of my own or one that I'm working on, they always kind of take on a life of their own and they go somewhere. It's kind of like a kid. Like the, you might want the kid to be a doctor, but the kid wants to be yeah, a cowboy. Sure. So the kid's going to go off and do his thing. Like what was your expectation like based on what you got? I had no expectation except that the guys were great and that it would be fun and it would be different and interesting. Yeah. And it was all of those things. I'm very happy with how it came out. Of course, there's one thing, I'm not going to say what it is. <laughs> there's one thing that I would have done differently, but... I think that's okay too, you know. Yeah. They're snapshots. Yeah. You know, that's what I love about records. It's it's well, it's like a book. It's the same kind of idea. It's the way these songs were at that time with those people in that place. Yeah. And of course the live show is completely different cuz yeah. I'm performing it by myself just the way I wrote them in my living room. Yeah. So do you stick pretty cl- I mean, do you ever smash your songs apart and reassemble them? I don't know what that means, but I don't think so. Um, well, that just means like there's been times where, you know, I wrote the song in G and it's 4-4. Four, four, and then after playing it for 10 years, like, you know, I'm tired of playing the song in G and 4-4. Four, four. I am now going to change it to B flat and I am <laughs> going to change it to 6-8. And I'm going to completely redo the melody to fit a triple meter. Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> Everybody's different about that yeah. kind of thing. Like, I think the song is the song. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, it should be. It's your song. You should do whatever you want to with it. Thank you. Man, your music is great. It's so simple and Thank quiet. You. And I love quiet. Yeah, you know? me I mean, too. I grew up in rock bands, and I love half stacks and AC30s dimed out as much as anybody else. But, man, the older I get, I'm just getting older. <laughs> I know, I we're just, getting I think old. it's loud fatigue. You know, so much of I mean, I live in a city that's kind of loud, yeah. and I've lived in other cities that are even louder. And I don't think music needs to be loud. And I, I mean, I, it doesn't need to be crushingly loud. Yeah. Even rock bands, they could play probably half as loud. I feel like it's it's not just maturity because that makes them, in contrast, immature, but it's a function of the fact that, you know, it's kind of like a musician who plays a lot of notes. It takes a lot of facility and practice to get to the point where you're playing a lot of notes or capable of doing that. But it's harder to pay, play quieter because you have more space between them and you've got to fit them in and they've got to be yeah. in the right place. If you're blazing through with a dozen 30-second note triplets in two bars... You know, blah, 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 and it kind of goes up. It's it's got a almost a circus feel to it. It's the overall mm-hmm. feel rather than the notes themselves. But if you back off and you have to learn how to play slowly, because that's harder to play slowly. Yeah. Try playing a tambourine to a slow beat sometimes. <laughs> that that's the most very challenging thing you can. Well, possibly tambourine do. in general is a lot harder than people, people think. People dog on the man or the uh, the tambourine players, but it's a hard instrument to play, especially at slower tempos. It's 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 a challenge. Try yeah. it sometime. So uh, in any case, uh, thank you so much for coming out, spending your afternoon. Thank you for having me. Talking about what you're up to. Please keep us abreast of what you're doing. You've got some dates coming up, but they're all overseas dates. They they run through March and April. Any uh, plans to get some more dates in in the States after that? Yeah, I'm hoping to get back out 
to a couple spots during the summer when it's warmer. Winter yeah. tour definitely has me thinking I will never tour winter yeah, again. And what a winter to go yeah, do it. That was ever. like the winter of winter vortices everywhere <laughs> yeah. you went. Did it really, did it have any, was there any point where it was like, oh my God, I'm not going to make it to that Yeah, that I canceled day? one show. You had to cancel a yeah. show? There okay. was a blizzard uh, leaving Chicago. Which one? Yeah. <laughs> and we spent about five hours that day driving 19 miles an hour. Oh my. So we just, there was no way we could make it to Portland. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, so you're doing some summer dates and then this brand new record just came out. Are you already new material? Or I if, you, am. if you're my like God. me, you yeah. always use the new material comes before the old one's even out. I know. I actually, I was getting a lot of ideas even right after I finished this record and I thought, no, don't go crazy, slow down. You know, you got to keep these songs in your head and, and, you know, keep them fresh and everything. So I was actually trying not to write and, uh, I just got so inspired on the tour. I would just written a couple. Yeah. It's always how it goes, man. So, uh, Eleni Mandel, thank you so very much. People can drop by pleasure. and learn everything they need to know about you at elenimandel.com, yeah. facebook.com slash eleni.mandel. Follow you on Twitter at Eleni Mandel. And of course, drop by Independence Day, indepte.com to learn everything about us. So, thank you to Eleni Mandel, also to the Independence Day staff, Valentina Rivera, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, I'm Joe Armstrong. If you do anything, please be good to one another.